What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, jam-packed edition with a rare double guest lineup. First, we talk to Sheldon Alexander of the On Blast Podcast Network. Now that the Raptors are out, who does he like to win the East? What to expect tonight in Game 7 between the Clippers and Nuggets? And are we sleeping on them against the Lakers? Then it's Tuesday, so Ted Ballantyne drops by as we'll see how he handled the Raps loss and if I was actually able to talk him into the Jaguars last week. Spoiler alert, I wasn't. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell, and we'll do a quick don't look back in anger because I really want to get to our two guests today. Uh, Let's start off in the NHL. Obviously, kind of a bummer there as Vegas blows another game. An incredible series altogether when it comes to this one. The Stars, you know, not wildly outplayed necessarily, certainly wildly outshot pretty much throughout the entire series. And they go and they get the 4-1 series win. Last night, obviously, Vegas blows the 2-0 lead, right? Felt like this is it. They're finally going to get it going. Couple of goals, you know, a two-goal lead feels huge in this series. And then they cough that up. Right, and the stars just take advantage every possible time. And then unfortunately, really for just a hockey standpoint, everybody hates this rule. You know, the shot the puck gets shot out of uh, the defensive zone, and that's an automatic penalty, and now we're headed to the power play for the stars, and you just kind of knew one way or another this is how this was going to end. And so again, looking back on it. Lost one unit on the series, a series that I was winning four units on based on uh, the futures market, right? And having Dallas and Las Vegas, you know, sort of beaten that to death, so don't need to get back into it. But point is, is set ourselves up with a five and a half to one shot with Vegas, you know, when they were just down two to one. And at no point, even going into yesterday, was the market as high as five and a half to one. So, you know, you shrug your shoulders and you go, I made a really good bet relative to the odds and all of that kind of thing. And even if that had just gotten to game seven, right where Dallas would have been plus, you know, plus 150, probably plus 160, 170, if Vegas had won two straight games, you know, would have been able to get out of there with at least a unit, probably two, kind of no matter what. So, um, you know, whatever. That's that's sports betting, right? You can't shoot the pucks into the net. You can't stop the pucks for them. Uh, I certainly wish I could. I definitely know that I can't, unlike a lot of people out there. So, um, you know, shrug your shoulders. Long story short, Western Conference, we end up making money over the course. I should say I did, unfortunately. Um, and hopefully, if you were sort of following along game to game, right, you would have done pretty well uh, there as well. So, uh, if any indication that I gave to you that Dallas was, you know, heavily uh, mispriced in this, that would probably have helped you out as well, right? So again, part of this is not necessarily following everything that I do because in some circumstance like this one, it's a little bit deeper than that. But at least sort of taking some of the numbers that I use and some of the things that I do and sort of applying it to your own stuff, 
right? And so, I mean, if you're in for every single episode for from now until the rest of time, you're going to be able to follow along with the future stuff that I add and all of that kind of thing, and sort of it might be more applicable to you, but sort of in the short term, or if you're just kind of doing your own thing, right, taking some of this information and working it for yourself is not a bad idea either. So all in all, uh, a, a good Western Conference final, um, even though it didn't work out exactly how we planned. And then over in the Eastern Conference, of course, right, I've got literally just the one bet that I made in game three, and I'm staying away again tonight. Um, and then hopefully we get a Dallas-Tampa Bay series and we can crunch the numbers and kind of see what we come up with there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because because Dallas has sort of eschewed the analytics here up until this point, what the numbers are going to crank out for Dallas, uh, I have a feeling we may end up be being on them for the Stanley Cup final, as sort of maybe crazy as that might sound. Um, as for baseball, right, we talked about that with regards to a split uh, yesterday in Minnesota, losing to the White Sox and the Padres beating the Dodgers. And I was trying to think whether I would pick that combination if I had to choose a split. And I think that I would because I think I'd rather both teams sort of be within two games, right? Because if the Dodgers had beaten the Padres, they'd fall back to three and a half games behind the Dodgers. And at that point, you know, even with the next two wins, you know, you would have to, you'd still be one and a half back with, you know, basically a week or so left. So I think I'd rather everything be close here, um, even if that means going from one game back to two games back with the Twins over the White Sox. And of course, I'm referencing, you know, Padres futures in that I have them plus 700 uh, to win the division, which, you know, was talked about at length in the MLB podcast from way back in late July. And I'm talking about the parlay that I added a couple of weeks later, maybe two, three weeks into the season that had Atlanta, Tampa Bay, and Minnesota as division winners. And it looks like Atlanta and Tampa Bay are going to get there relatively easily, knock on wood. And so we're down to sort of this one battle here um, that I'm rolling with at like 10 to 1 um, down the stretch. And so, you know, still three games in this matchup, too, between Minnesota and the White Sox. So again, we could still see, you know, Minnesota get two out of the next three and be right back to a one game uh, difference here with the rest of this series left to go. So um, by and large, you know, kind of the rest of the way, cheering for Minnesota to get as many as they can. Two would be fine by me. Uh, and if the Padres can even just so much as split, you know, working with a one and a half game deficit for the rest of the season isn't all that bad either when you've got things like 10 to 1 and 7 to 1 going forward. So um, kind of fun to sort of get the juices going with regards to a baseball uh, pennant race. I didn't play anything else. Again, really short slate in baseball yesterday. I'll have a couple of plays, I'm sure, today. Follow along at authentic on Twitter for when I post those, assuming we're able to come up with something good in baseball elsewhere in, uh, you know, in the league. Uh, and then there's the NFL, right? And you've got the Giants and the Steelers. And that was a game that the Giants could have had and they could have I mean, at least to cover, right? Uh, and they could have done so in the first half. And they just felt like, and this is, you know, why you don't love betting on bad teams necessarily, is as much as Daniel Jones actually looked pretty good, the offensive line held up from a pass protection standpoint, you wouldn't have thought that the Saquon Barkley production would be the thing that wouldn't 
do them any good. And then of course, they just don't take advantage of all the opportunities that were given to them early on, right? Getting a field goal after the muffed punt by the Steelers is not good enough if you are the underdog, right? You're keeping the Steelers in this game. In a game that when the Steelers came out, didn't look all that impressive. And I'm not even sure after the fact, did they look all that impressive, right? Was the defense doing all that much, right? Turned, you know, turned Daniel Jones over a couple of times with interceptions, and of course the key interception in the third quarter. But, you know, it wasn't this like swarming attack that had Daniel Jones running for his life necessarily. And when he was running, he was able to get key first downs, at least on that drive, where, which ended in an interception, admittedly. And so, you know, you go into that first half, halftime, and it's it's somehow 16 to 10 for the Steelers. You're like, how did we get here? And right, and all it took would have taken was one more first down from the Giants to take that clock down just enough so that the Steelers wouldn't have been able to get that late second quarter touchdown. And then, of course, you're going, all right, well, we need a touchdown here from the Giants to get this thing to where, you know, winning the game is more of a concern and we don't have to go off script here if you're the Giants. And they get the ball all the way down to, you know, what, the six, seven, eight, yard line and Daniel Jones get you know gets his arm hit the ball goes up and you can see it and it's one of those where the ball is up for roughly a week and the you know Steelers go and intercept it and from there it was sort of behind the eight ball the rest of the way the Steelers got going on offense and eventually covered by three or four points depending on the number that you got in the late one time tweeted it out right should we just cancel this game because it seems obvious to everyone that I'm reading that the Titans are going to win and cover right I didn't see anybody with Denver plus two and a half even when it got to three necessarily and you know the contest plays everybody was heavy into the Tennessee side of things and so I'm like some way or another this game is getting covered by Denver and so yeah, you're you're watching the Tennessee and yeah, how's this going to happen, right? And Tennessee just can't make a field goal. And, you know, I sort of predicted it in the preview um, last week, the AFC South preview, talking about how they had 47% success rate in their field goals last year and it couldn't possibly wor be worse. Well, it turns out it actually was worse, except for the fact that they made the last one to get it just under the number as uh, Denver covers plus two and a half, plus three, all the numbers basically um, of the last week. If you got Tennessee early before that steam upwards, then that's obviously a different story. And kudos to you from doing some really good betting in that in that space. Uh, I was completely terrified that Tennessee was going to just completely eschew the field goal and make a point to score the touchdown. Seemed like they were more interested in taking the clock down as uh, Vic Fangio was just a train wreck when it comes to clock management, both in the end game there, we're not using his timeouts to allow Denver to have more time should Tennessee score, and also just on offense, right? They get two different drives starting with five minutes to go, and they took essentially no time off the clock. So um, not surprising to me, down on Fangio, have been for a long time. He doesn't seem to understand how the clock works. I was literally watching that game going like, do they know that there's only four quarters in this game? Um, long story short, Denver gets there for the win, and we split on the Monday nighters. Um, you know, both games felt like they could go either way, and that's, that's the NFL. So speaking of the NFL, uh, you know, I've talked about it a little bit on here. I'm doing a Thursday guest spot on the On Blast podcast network with Sheldon Alexander. And he's a big hoops guy. The Raptors are out of the playoffs. So he's got a little more time on his hands. So he's going to join me uh, to talk about the NBA right now. 
So let's bring him in. It's Sheldon Alexander, a former colleague of mine, long in the long list of colleagues that I've had join me on the show here. He's the host of the On Blast Podcast Network, and specifically for these purposes, wrap it up his daily, well, maybe not daily, but gamely uh, post-game show that he <laughs> runs um, on the On Blast Podcast Network. Sheldon, my man, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this has been a great time of year. Like the, the thing with the bubble and basketball bubble it being every night is just that, one, either the Clippers or Lakers play every single night, which is great for a basketball fan. Yeah. But it's just been great. If you love basketball, what more do you want other than high-level games every single night? Yeah, and there's certainly this case to be made for, can we just do basketball on, like, a soundstage the way they're doing it now, like, for the rest of time? Because, I mean, the fan thing is cool and all, but, like, if we can sort of keep all these guys together and just ramp it up schedule-wise where we don't have these huge breaks between games, right? Obviously, the NBA noted for having three days off between game three (laughs) and game four in a series, and you're like, there is no flow to this. It's ridiculous. And so, yeah, you get into this rhythm that's uh, so much more enjoyable. Although, for your purposes, though, Mr. Russell, I will say – all the time that's normally in between series, I would always laugh because it gives so much time for the yahoos that think they know basketball to come up with their dumb theories that are normally wrong because it's so much time to just like think about things and overthink things. And then people start throwing things out there. It's in terms of if you just go now every other night, there's not enough time to overreact. There's not enough time to overthink. It's just, this is what happened last game. Scrap it. All right, cool. Back to the next game. And with the bubble, too, and no fans, it's just, to me, it favors more just who's the better team. You're not going to have the the swings that you would normally have in a series with home court advantage switching. Yeah, and it's been that way for, obviously, both, both hockey and basketball, this sort of delightful change where all the lines stay the same game to game and we don't have to like factor in home court advantage and like okay well this team's down 0-2 but they're going back home and like yeah. in theory like the, the the appropriate bet is to grab the home team but Vegas knows that and so right the odds makers mm-hmm. you know tweak things so that that makes you know that price you know even more uh you know <laughs> aggressive than it normally would be and I do like that you mentioned, you know, dumb yahoos in the same sentence as for people like you uh, five minutes into the podcast. <laughs> you know, That's good. You I like that level I mean. of spice, my man. No, 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 no. You know <laughs> what I mean, though, right? The do, yahoos that are like, you know, a perfect example of this, right? Our listeners might appreciate this story. I don't even know if you remember this. If you go back to the Raptors playoff run. I remember you and I having a long conversation about the Raptors versus Bucks series. And we had a very long conversation about how narratives and the fact that the Raptors coming off their second round series last year, championship run Kawhi, just to paint the picture for everyone, right? So we were talking about narratives and everyone talking about the Raptors, how they struggled coming out of game seven against the Sixers compared to the Bucks, who were just steamrolling through the playoffs. And that led the Bucks to be huge favorites against the Raptors in the series. Yep. And I was saying from a basketball perspective, that's just 
that doesn't make sense. Like from a basketball perspective, right. the Bucks are not heavy favorites against the Raptors. That's all just perception based off of how these two teams just played in their prior series. But when you match them up together, it's way more even. And I will say you're the one that got me thinking in that way in terms of value. So the Raptors being heavy underdogs against the Bucks last year, there's crazy value. And I think we even had the conversation about me saying, I even see the Raps losing game one just because they're tired, just because of like the emotional roller coaster that that series was against the, the Sixers. For but sure. even if they lose game one and you said, well, then you just wait, let them lose game one and then bet on the Raptors. <laughs> right. Well, they ended up losing the first two. Right? Yeah. And I was still confident, but that always stuck with me because it's just such a, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, in our conversations we had as colleagues for so long is one of those conversations I always remember because it was always about not like realizing how much the media plays a role in swinging public perception. Right. So it's books, books, books. They're awesome. And it's like, uh, slow down. Yeah. And, and yeah, so much of that is driven in the NBA. Right. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. you have to kind of bet with it, but there are these sort of specific instances like this, that yeah I mean listen I was a big Raptors fan like all through high school right like as the team sort of you know came up right with obviously the Vince Carter era and then um Rob Babcock is that (laughs) that the person yeah so then he destroyed me he destroyed me when I realized one day that I could do a better job as a general manager than he than than he could and I was like (laughs) yeah I think I'm out on this whole Raptors scene because it's just too much, right? Like, why would I bother sort of following this um, with any sort of emotional attachment when it's clearly run by a blithering idiot, right? And for me, like, I still look at Andre Iguodala as the guy that they didn't draft that I was screaming for them to draft when they drafted yeah. Rafael Rujo. And so, you know, it's, yeah. all, it's sort of been a down period for me even ever since then with regards mm-hmm. to, like, liking the Raptors and being a Raptors fan, because obviously there's a significant amount of disappointment there, even once they got good, um, yeah. you know, facing the Cavs and the Heat every year and all that kind of stuff. And then they go on this run last year. And if there's ever a way to sort of rekindle my fandom, it's win a series when you're a like plus 300 plus 400 <laughs> underdog and then go to the finals and beat the Warriors when you're a plus 250, uh, you know, so on and so forth right. underdog. And so, yeah, so I'm like, okay, I'm back in, but it's entirely attached to my wallet. So let's talk about the Raptors. Because I have a question for you. I have a question. Okay, go ahead. Because the way that, you know, you and I always talked basketball in terms of gambling. I always found it interesting because basketball is such a, like, it's such an eye test sport. What I mean by that Mm -hmm. is. If you know basketball, there's certain things that you understand that like, oh, they figured this out. And so yep. we saw that with the Bucks series last year, right? We saw that with, you know, the Warriors series last year in the finals. But then even if we go to this season, I kind of was all over, and we talked about this off the air like a couple weeks ago, I was all over the Heat beating the Bucks. For yep. the same reasons the Raptors beat the Bucks, Like, the blueprint was there on how to stop Giannis. The Heat just have a good enough team. That's all eye test stuff. But yeah. the numbers still don't really dictate that. Is that just because of the public, you think? Like, the public's not seeing? Like, the public overall knowledge isn't the same. 
Is that the reason why? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, like, you know, we were here on the podcast. We were all over the heat as well. It's literally not only the best thing that we've done in this playoff, this NBA playoff, but it might be really the only good thing that we've done okay, in this okay. NBA playoff. Uh, we had okay. a great regular season, literally was 67% in the bubble regular season, like the Ooh. restart. And so we're feeling pretty good about, the, about that going into the playoffs. And then the first round was, you know, a low level disaster. Didn't give it all back necessarily, but gave, you know, a good 50% of what we were working with from the regular season back. You. And then the second round came along and it was like, we're circling out of the four series, the Heat and the Bucks, right? And you're right. So from a sort of analytical standpoint, like I'm super analytical to the point where I'm sure I'm driving people to sleep here when I talk about hockey, right? Because for okay. me, there's so much luck involved in hockey. The best I can do is kind of make a number, make a price, and then just kind of hope that I'm right more often than not, right? And sort of take advantage of those like 5 to 10% edges, that I feel I get based on like an, an analytic type of thing. In football, as you know, and as we talk about every Thursday, is, you know, it's so much market driven because there's so much money, right? And it's so much about overhyped teams and getting value. And because it's a point spread, you know, every point sort of matters and key numbers and all of that kind of thing. Well, in basketball, yeah. like there's no key numbers to sort of break down, right? Like, no. it, and we, don't, we never know from game to game who's going to foul late and like what they're <laughs> going to do and all of that kind of thing. And so, you know, that part is all taken out of it. And when it comes to like the analytics, like you can go into like rebounding margin and offensive rebounding margin and turnovers and whatever, whatever. But like the advantages series to series change, right? So like you could be, yeah. you could have a rebounding advantage in one series. Like if you're playing the Rockets, for example, you could have a rebounding advantage. And that's maybe the key element of the handicap. And then you go into the next series and you're playing a team that is bigger than you are. And, you know, now all of a sudden the rebounding advantage is actually a disadvantage for you. And so there isn't that sort of core principle for me, right? And you have all these people yeah. out there with their models and they're like, oh, I make it this number, I make it that number. But the reality is like in basketball, if you make the number six and a half and the number's eight, like... The, the, there's so much happening there's so many <laughs> possessions in a game that that's yeah. going to be negated by just a bad call in the first quarter like so easily right and so for me nba is by far the kind of trickiest thing because in you know in theory they're all professionals and they're all going to have the same ah. sort of motivation level whereas like for college basketball which is a bit of a bread and butter piece for me it's like you can kind of do a bit better job of figuring out which team and which, you know, because they're college kids are going to have letdowns and which, you know, where the sort of advantage is there and there's less possession. So the numbers mean a little bit more in college basketball, whereas in the NBA, yeah, like it's a total sweepstakes, right? Like you could have had the Clippers minus seven and a half, minus eight in these last couple of games and been laughing in the first yeah. half. And then it just all goes to hell in a handbasket. And you go, like, well, what happened to my edge here that yeah. felt really good? Right. And so, yeah, for the for the for the Bucks and the Heat, I, you know, we were there, you know, we were with it, too. For me, it was as simple as, you know, Budenholzer doesn't make adjustments. Right. He just runs his <laughs> deal and like that's it. And he just sort of hopes for the best. Right. He's the NFL coach that doesn't really have a plan B. And yep. so when you have Spolstra as the coach for the Heat, really more than anything that is necessarily happening with like who's better, you know, matchups on the court. It was like whatever's going to happen here, like Spolster is going to have a, a plan B, whereas Bud isn't going to. So when it came down to like the Heat winning that first game, 
it was like, oh, okay. So Bud doesn't even have a plan A at this point that is going to work. <laughs> yeah. It, I totally agree with you, man. I totally agree with you. <laughs> so you do obviously sort of the, I would say the best thing that you do or sort of the thing that maybe you're the most into with apologies to the challenge um, is, <laughs> is your wrap it up post game show. So now that you've got all kinds of time, uh, mm-hmm. We can sort of look back and just as a quick sort of autopsy of the Raptors Celtic series from your standpoint, going into that series, you know, obviously, you know, you're, it's a fan show for fans, right? And so yeah. did you have the Raptors beating the Celtics going in? Um, would you have bet that? Are you betting these games at all? Or is it just sort of, you know, you already have too much riding on them with regards to sort of the success and longevity of a season <laughs> to keep your show yeah. going? Yeah. So it's funny you phrase it that way because it's it's super interesting in that sense. I don't bet on the Raptors for that reason. Okay. So what I do on the podcast though is it is for fans. So I know the audience are Raptors, like diehard, diehard Raptors fans, right? right. Like the ones who are talking about, can we trade Chris Boucher for LeBron? You know what I mean? <laughs> so like – the role that I play and I take, I'm very like prideful about is I try to bring them into real life. Yeah. Let's so, find a median here. Let's find a, let's yeah. regress to the mean from a sanity standpoint. So I always say, do I want them to win? Of course it's better for business if they win, but I'm going to be real about stuff and lower people's expectations more to the medium. So I was out here before the Celtics Raptors series saying, this is going to be a huge wake-up call. Like, people thinking – there are a lot of people just thinking, oh, yeah, the Raps have a really good chance to win. And I was like, no, I'm really worried about this series. I don't know if this is going to go well. And I sort of phrase it in that way. So, I Which really would've... means that had you bet it or had you sort of not been hosting it. Yeah, and were, you, were yeah. you surprised to find out that they were a slight underdog at that point? Very surprised. And the reason for that is because watching the Raptors, like, here's the thing, too. If people listen to me talk about the Raptors and just made bets off of that, like, forget about me making the bets. But I'm saying if people just listen to what we were saying all along, it played out to a T, like, Raptors were going to lose in the second round. The only thing that was off, and and another lesson that I got from Mr. Russell, I'll be honest here, (laughs) being very honest – I'm not just giving you a bunch of praise because I'm on your podcast. Sure, this right is, now. Sound, I don't like where this is headed. This, this sounds rough. No, no, no. Okay. But one of the things was you have your, your narrative that like, or whatever your baseline thought is. And just because something doesn't go the way that you thought it did doesn't mean that you were wrong. It's just, you know, sometimes things happen. So coming into this season, yeah. Coming into this season, I thought overall, yeah, the Raptors are okay. But honestly, I see them losing in the second round. I don't see them being, you know, better than the Celtics. I don't see them being better than the Bucs. I don't see them. I, I was even on the heat from the start of the season before Jay Crowder, before Andre Gudala, right? Okay. So I always thought the Raptors were losing in the second round. The thing that threw a lot of people off and I had the Raptors fans in the podcast chat on me for was because I said they would finish in the regular season somewhere in the bottom of the playoff picture. So five to eight. And people okay. took that as like huge levels of disrespect as if I was saying like the right. craziest thing in the world. Right. But it was all based off of injuries. I thought this is an older team. You're relying a lot on Gasol, Serge, Kyle. Those guys are going to get hurt. Fred is injury prone as well. So there'd be a lot of injuries. Well, guess what? 
there were a lot of injuries. <laughs> right. They just Nick Nurse is just out here wheeling and dealing with lineups. <laughs> yeah. Besides out here finding like Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas and out of nowhere, right? So yeah. they're able to keep the train moving. So overall, though, I don't let that stuff shift my overall opinion of, well, when it comes down to the come down, they don't have a dude that you need to get you buckets when you need buckets in the playoffs. And so as much as gambling is about, you know, hitting a number, when you think of the playoffs in this sense, and sometimes I just need a dude to get me a bucket. So if I'm down 10, Kawhi's going to cut that lead to five. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. So you remove that guy, you're in trouble come playoff time. And that's what we saw in that series. So that's yeah. why I was always on the Boston side. If I was betting, I said this to a couple people, if I was betting my life, <laughs> right. I had to bet, I'm betting the Celtics. Yeah, the gunpoint bet was the Celtics, especially at that price, right? And it was sort of oh, like, for sure. And I, you know, I had the Celtics series price, and so it comes down to a game seven. I talked about it on Monday how mm-hmm. and even you know sort of tweeted about it, how it was like it re- it was really uncomfortable because the Raptors had done me so well obviously last season where you go yeah. like man like should I just come over the top and it, that I had this like weird fandom sense that I don't get all that often where <laughs> I was just like man I really just want to kind of come over the top of my Celtics bet here just to cheer for the Raptors down the stretch you know, and maybe who knows, they pull off sort of this late game comeback here and it didn't necessarily work out. So, um, you know, not necessarily a devastating loss. I don't think you can sort of say, right, because I mean, no. game seven in a series that you probably, you know, how many of the games are you really the better, uh, you know, better team in? Um, totally so, true. yeah. So, you know, as we move forward to the Eastern Conference, right, and you're, you've talked about how your job is to sort of, you know, find the median with regards to sanity in the fandom, but you are still a mm-hmm. fan. So, like, yeah. how objective can you be when talking about the Celtics and the Heat series? And, you know, do you have a lean one way or another? If you, yeah. you know, we sort of talk about on this podcast sometimes knowing your own bias, right? And just sort of mm-hmm. working that into how you do things. And so, you know, if you had to pick one side or the other, would you say that you are a man, like, I just saw that team for seven games, like, they earned my respect, like, I will bet on them in the next round? Or are you the, like, man, I just saw that team for seven games, like, I don't even think they're that good. I'm betting on whoever, you know, takes them in the next round. Which side would you lean to? So here's the thing, right? On top of, you know, doing the Raptors pod, another pod we also do on the network is just Ball on Blast, which is like a basketball-wide podcast sure but the reason there's so much content is because at the core of everything i love the nba so i would in fact say that if not for the raptors podcast i would watch way more other teams than i would the toronto raptors okay right like that's how much i love the nba so the miami heat boston Celtics series i look at that and you know i watched the majority of all of their games especially the last round right right So when I come into this series, I'm looking at it and thinking, well, there's a lot of value on Miami coming into this series because I just think that I would almost say the Heat are the better team. And I think that especially without Gordon Hayward, like the Celtics were able to get through the Raptors without Hayward, right? Right. You saw Wanamaker minutes. You saw, you know – um, Robert Williams minutes, or maybe it's Grant Williams, whichever the Williams is. Yeah, a duo you know of I mean? Williamses. Like, yeah, for sure. You saw Semi Ojale. 
Like, you got yeah. away with those minutes against Fred Van Fleet. I don't think you're getting away with those minutes against, like, Jimmy Butler. And more importantly, Eric Spolstra. Right? Yeah. Like, Nick Nurse didn't have the counter of, hey, I'm going to trust my bench to be better than Semi Ojale. But right. when you flip over to the Heat, and as you said, Eric Spolstra being a great coach and having counters and making adjustments in game, I just think this is going to be a great chess match. And I, I think what the Heat bring to the table is better suited for the playoffs. It's more battle-tested. There's just more dudes that have been through it before. They're not going to be shook at the moment. They're not going to be shook because OG Ananobi hits a crazy shot that you were about to go up 3 nothing. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. You should still win in five, generally right. sweep. Yeah. But instead, it ends up going seven? Nah. Jimmy, it's a business trip. So I see that when, when you sent me I, the numbers and I look at it, I'm like, oh, I like that. Miami? For sure. I, I'm, I'm in on that. Because okay. I also see it going a long series. And once you're talking about you're giving me a game seven and I, ha- I would have the heat at plus money, woo. <laughs> yeah, okay. So my next question was actually going to be not so much a question, but a comment or, or a statement. And it says here, talk me out of the heat. And so that's clearly, <laughs> that's clearly not going to happen here because you just dropped no. a Ric Flair woo after talking about the heat price here. So I guess I will take the role of mm-hmm. devil's advocate then and sort of tell you like yeah. what my concerns are with regards to the heat for I'm this listening. series, right? And so mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, obviously first round stuff doesn't really matter, right? Like all of those teams no. could have just slept walk through um, to get to the second round. And so... Obviously, we just talked about how, to me, in round two against the Bucks, the Spolster advantage was such over Budenholzer that, like, that was a big check mark on their side. Mm-hmm. Against Stevens, right, that becomes, like you said, a chess match where I'm not sure that Spolster has the advantage, right? And on the flip okay. side, obviously, with the Bucks, you've got this singular focus that you need to stop with regards to Giannis. And like you said, there was sort of a, um, you know, blueprint already in to stop him. And by the way, like he did get hurt. So as much as we kind of, you know, we should acknowledge that like we can pat ourselves on the back for being right about the heat and they did win game one and so on. Like if he stays, you know, if he, you know, he's healthy the entire series, like maybe that goes a little bit differently, Um, you know, but who knows. Right. Uh, And so you go, that's such an advantage that they had in that last series that they don't have anymore. And then from sort of an X's and O's standpoint, because Austin has a lot of the same player, there is an element where like, you know, Boston can switch on defense in a way that they wouldn't have to normally. Right. And so like, it's such a different X and O's element where the defense is going to be different than what, you know, you know, you couldn't have a Lopez, switching on to you know a Kemba if that was the matchup right whereas with with you know a guy like Bam right like he can switch and then vice versa on the other side so it's just so different where you have this like you said chess match and I go I don't know if the Heat have the guys who you know I don't know that they're three deep defensively that when they're you know this sort of positionless element that kind of both teams are really bringing to the table here. 
I'm not sure that they have enough dudes here that they can stop all three guys. And it, maybe it comes down to Jalen Brown or, you know, whoever the third guy happens to be, whoever Spolster decides is, you know, okay, we'll have Jimmy on this guy, you know, we'll have Bam on this guy. And then kind of like Jay Crowder, I guess. And it's like, you know, he's a former Celtic. And I don't know that they're all that afraid of like a Jay Crowder defensive stopper type situation at this point in time. And I get a little bit worried from that standpoint where, you know, and on offense, right, the Heat are running out the Tyler Harrows and the Duncan Robinsons of the world who like I like, right? You know me, college hoops mm-hmm. guy, right? A Michigan yeah. guy, a Kentucky guy. This is right in my wheelhouse. And... <laughs> Right, like there's enough dudes that they can kind of shut them down potentially on the Celtics. So I am, you know, I initially did the same thing, maybe not, you know, without the Ric Flair sound. Um, I definitely was like, oh, the heater favored. That's really interesting. And then the other element is, and this is kind of funny, in that because the Lakers and more specifically the Clippers didn't sweep their series or win in five games in the case of the Clippers, that pushed this Eastern Conference final back. Right. If the Clippers get things done and they do so back in game, even just game four, really, but especially game five, it doesn't this Eastern Conference series start on Sunday like they weren't going to let the weekend go without any basketball. And so the Heat would have had an advantage in that first game with the Celtics coming off of that game seven. And now everything gets pushed back because the Clippers can't deal with their business. And now the. Celtics have the, you know, sort of back on even playing field here with regards to rest. So those are my concerns. Are those valid or am I just kind of an No, ace? no, no. I think those are valid for sure. And you, you mentioned the, the chess match that it will be between these two coaches and it will no doubt be great. The reason I lean heat is just because the way that I see this series and, you know, I'm not really too up on over under totals in terms of numbers. Sure. But the thing I will say when I look at this series, I don't see it as being a super high scoring series. I see this as being uh, lower scoring in comparison to what we see now in the NBA. Right. Right. So I see it being kind of lower scoring and it kind of grinded out. You can see games in the nineties are barely over, uh, you know, teams getting it to a hundred. Right. The the reason for that and the reason why I think that benefits the Heat, I just think the guys, the bodies that they're going to be able to throw out at Tatum, right? Mm-hmm. right? Whether it's Bam, whether it's Jay Crowder. Like, they started off with Crowder mm-hmm. on Giannis, right? Right. And you didn't really have to adjust too much because, like, nobody else was doing anything, right? Like, the key right. was kind of – we're going to put Jimmy on Middleton, which the Raptors did last year with Kawhi, right? right? right. Eliminate Middleton. That's going to cause, like, Giannis, do whatever, miss your layups, miss your free throws. You're not going to score 40. Yeah, you're not going to score 40 a night to beat us. So if you look at it from this angle and you say, okay, what do you do with Jason Tatum, right? You kind of yeah. let him go. The Raptors tried to gear their offense to when Tatum was off the floor – they tried these like messed up matchup zones with Kemba and really threw him off. And Kemba kind of struggled. Yeah, they right? went to the janky playbook, as Steph Curry would say. Exactly. Now, will Spolster do that? Probably not. But Dragic can be enough of a pain in the ass when he follow he's following around um, Kemba for the series. I just okay. think the the way that you that I look at the Miami Heat when you have Crowder, Jimmy, Igudala, Bam you're going to grind out and slow down this series. And I think 
it, it, on a possession by possession game, I just trust the Heat more, and okay. I trust them to get a bucket when they need a bucket, aka Jimmy buckets. <laughs> but the Celtics, they're still in the process of learning. They're still in the process. Like that Raptor series shouldn't have gone seven games. No. Right. And I think right. that's kind of the thing where Jimmy's like, this is a business trip. We got to do this. This is this. This is this. And his mentality of that heat culture. I know I'm talking in the cliches of like, you know, public TV and all that crap. Sure. Narrative like, type stuff. That's fine. Ex- but you know what I'm saying, though? I yeah. think they're just here and they they kind of more understand who they are mm-hmm. to where the heroes, Duncan Robinson's, this is your job. You guys knock down these open shots. Yeah. You guys do this. We'll take care of Jason Tatum, right? <laughs> right. And, and, and do that side of it. And I just think there's too much value on the Heat. Like, okay. I really wouldn't be surprised if the Heat won this series. And so, and off that premise alone, totally okay with riding with the Heat. Okay. So before we get to the Western Conference, I do want to run this one theory by you. And it doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with gambling. It's just more... Um, I mean, I guess it does because part of the handicap going into just the playoffs in general, right? When people are trying to figure out like who's coming out of the East, right? There was this sort of, a lot of people were down on the bucks, especially relative to the number, right? Like they were so heavily favored at like plus 200 essentially to come out of the East. It was like, well, who are we going to find to, you know, knock them off, right? And every sort of team had their own, you know, issue. And it's like, well, I don't really want this team. I really don't want that team. And so the case that people were making included the Sixers way back when, right? And part of the case was like, oh, if they could ever figure it out, like, remember, they were one miracle shot away from overtime in game seven last year against the, you know, against the Raptors. And then, you know, obviously to the finals or potentially to the finals if they had, you know, beaten the Bucks. And so, like, that was people's case for the Sixers. Like, they were that close. Sort of devaluing that, like, Jimmy Butler was on that team. And <laughs> for me, I'm, like, now sort of hindsight being 2020, which is why it kind of doesn't have anything to do with gambling, because it doesn't really help us going forward, is, you know, shouldn't the narrative have been Jimmy Butler and company, whomever that company is, was that close, right? So instead of applying that sort of positive attitude and that positive message to the Sixers, when they're just sort of left with a lot of the guys who's, who mentally people don't really trust all that much, when we really should have been like, you know, Jimmy Butler and whatever crew he's running with was that close. And we should have taken that and used that to kind of clue in that the Heat would be more of an option maybe than, you know, than we thought they were going to be. Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. And I totally agree with you. Because if you pay attention to what's happened with Jimmy Butler's career over the last couple of years, right? He's been in these situations where he's probably gone about it the wrong way. But when you look back, he was right about Towns and Wiggins and the T-Wolves, right? Mm -hmm. That team got better when Jimmy got there and they got worse when Jimmy left. And he was right about whatever was going on with the Sixers. Like, I think he's kind of close with Embiid. With Simmons, not so much. But you could tell there was some turmoil in their locker room there, and Jimmy openly discussed his dislike for Brett Brown, right? Yeah. So, again, another example of that team got better when he got there, and they got worse when he left. So now he's in a place where he's in Miami, right? Mm-hmm. 
before, a lot of what he was talking about was guys not working hard to win championships. Like that wasn't really, you know, the the DNA of the Timberwolves. Wasn't really the, the DNA of Simmons and Embiid either in Philly. Now yeah. he gets to Miami where that's all Pat Riley is about. Right? Yeah. Like that is Pat Riley's heat culture that gets, you know, thrown out there all the time. Yeah. So it's almost like a match made in basketball heaven. For sure. So when you're, you're saying, okay, cool, it's Jimmy Butler and we're giving this credit to Jimmy Butler. Well, yeah, but now he has all these other people who are in line with the same mentality, the same narrative, these young bucks that they're relying on so much yeah. are following their vet. Like that's what their vet is on. How can they not do the same? And a great example of this, I think, is their focus has been on championships. So Jimmy Butler's numbers in the regular season – weren't as good as they normally are. And some people were kind of thinking, okay, well, what's going on here? Oh, it's a style of play. Oh, you know, he's kind of figuring it out. But really, it was about bringing along the rest of the team, right? Gaining right. confidence in some of these rookies that they know they would need come playoff time. For but sure. when you see these series and you see these games, when it's time to go, it's clear out, give Jimmy the ball, he's going to get a bucket. And He's talking trash. Tyler Heroes is confident as ever. Duncan Robinson is way more than just a spot-up shooter. Like, these guys and their team, and then, again, when they add Igudala and Crowder, those are playoff vets that winning teams need, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. To be successful. And so, yeah, you're, you're right when you say we should have been following the Jimmy Butler narrative. Yes, yeah. but then double down on that because the and company – yeah. Is the Miami Heat? Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's yes. Pat Riley team. Yes, yeah. This isn't. There's no process, you know, involved. There's no like who's the GM this year involved. There's no like you know axe over mm-hmm. the head of the coach or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, in the NBA, you know, good news is like players change teams and really good ones change teams so frequently. It's a. It's just a point that it's like we should really be following more the player than this sort of idea that like, oh, this team was so close last year. And it's like, well, there's a fundamental difference between the two teams. So um, you and I are doing a football show every Thursday on your Mm -hmm. On Blast feed, because in part with the pushback of the NBA season, you have more time to devote to the NFL. And I bring that up because I want you to be honest. How much Clippers Nuggets did you actually watch on Sunday? So I had it up on the iPad um, beside me. Because, okay. So what ended up happening on Sunday was, I want to say at about 1.30, mm-hmm. I realized that the Red Zone channel was free. Okay. <laughs> which, you know, I didn't know because, I mean, why would anybody who had it for free want to promote that? That's right. a story for another day. Right. But – Realized that it was free. So instead of the stream that I was watching on my iPad of the Red Zone channel, okay, I then just streamed that and cast it to my TV, therefore freed up another iPad to then sure. put up the Nuggets game. Oh, so okay. I did have it up, was there watching it, and it sort of followed the same suit of the Clippers. And, you know to tie these things together kind of right. Like you were just talking about betting on teams as opposed or betting on the player, Mm -hmm. right. And following the player. Yeah. It almost perfectly leads into 
the Clippers because I'm still very confident in the Clippers because of Kawhi Leonard. And maybe okay. I shouldn't be, and maybe I'm overvaluing that. But at the end of the day, I've still watched too much Kawhi to know that, okay, well, at some point, he's going to say, Jamal Murray, you're not scoring anymore. <laughs> Give me that ball. I'm winning this game. We're not losing a game seven. To the, do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah. And but we're in a game seven, right? So the, like, so the here. point here is like, you know, uh, any time now, Kawhi, right? Like it's like, For sure. You know, like where has this been? And so, you know, sort of the fundamental question, of course, in this whole podcast and the whole thing that we're doing here is, is you know, what do you like tonight? Like who do you like tonight? And so, but as, as I look at it, I go, mm-hmm. listen, like. On the surface, the last two games, the Nuggets have won and by, you know, a decent margin in the end. And so you go, wow, like, of course, I'll take the seven and a half points, right, with the Nuggets. But, right, in both games, if you had bet the Clippers minus seven and a half, you were feeling pretty good through most of the game, right? At least half, if not into the third, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, if the Nuggets planned that plan that blueprint of going down big and coming back late like not ideal right and so for (laughs) me I would be like let's take the Clippers because there's no way they can do that a third time but of course because sports are sports and every game starts zero zero there's nothing guaranteeing that the Nuggets are going to start that slow or that the Clippers are going to start that fast and that the Nuggets are going to have to dig themselves out of any kind of a hole here and if I felt like there was a switch that the Clippers could turn on, I feel like they would have done it or they would have, you know, held the switch on if they had turned it on and they just, you know, at some point they turned it off over the last couple of games. And so it's just like, you know, how many times do I have to see that this team defensively isn't what it should be from a branding standpoint, right? Like, because those numbers in the Dallas series, the totals, were astronomically high in the 230s, 235 range, and they were sailing over those numbers. And this is with, like, hobbled Doncic and no Porzingis and all of that. And, like, yeah, they ended up winning and relatively comfortably. But, like, how much do I have to see from this team to just stop believing that this defensive element here that I expect from these wing guys in Leonard and and Paul George, George, et cetera, et cetera, is it it just for whatever reason they're just not doing it and obviously defense has a lot to do with sort of team right team defense and organization and so like is that what's missing here and or is it just a matter like they put their foot off the gas pedal these last couple of games in this sort of look ahead element to the lakers and have allowed denver to get back in and because it's game seven they're not going to do that and like uh, like am i going to believe that to the tune of laying the seven and a half points so here, here's the thing. There's a couple of things at play here. One, you talked about letting their foot off the gas against the Nuggets. Throughout this entire NBA season, pre-pandemic, the Clippers have been doing the exact same thing. The Clippers are the cockiest team there is that hasn't won anything ever, right? Right, like, of course. Kawhi has won. Individually, right? Kawhi, yeah, sure. Yeah, Kawhi individually has said, hey – load management for 20 games or whatever 82 practices playoffs is when I lace them up that was a famous quote that I loved from last season with the Toronto Raptors my guy actually in a press conference said the regular season is 82 practices the playoffs is when I really lace them up 
Kawhi Leonard can have that mentality because he's done it, right? We yeah. watched him do it. The Clippers yeah. kind of try to go on with that same moniker, except y'all can't do that. Y'all haven't won anything. Y'all don't have the same pedigree as Kawhi Leonard to buckle down and play defense when you need to. And the difference between the Clippers and the Raptors is foundational structure. What I mean by that yeah. is coaching, right? Sure. So, so the heat too, right? It's the same kind total, of deal that we just totally, talked about. Yeah. Right. There's defensive principles. So, you know, when there's a breakdown on defense, guys know, oh, that was my fault on the Raptors, or this is where you should have been. The Clippers, there's so many times when there's breakdowns on the defensive end and dudes are just like looking around. There's definitely, there's so many plays where Kawhi is trying to like point guys in the right direction because they don't even know, oh, are we in switch or are we supposed to hedge on the screens? Like they have no idea. The fact that you, you talked about the Mavs series, the fact that Doc Rivers allowed um, Reggie Jackson to be on Luca Island and have <laughs> this dance for the game-winning shot. When you have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and one of the Morris twins, whichever one it is, it's on the Clippers. Sure. we It might be both. They're on the bubble, might, right? Like, right? they literally might just change interchangeably. We don't know. Exactly. But the point, the, the point I'm making here, though, yeah. right, is the fact that you have those three dudes on the court and you don't know that they're going to run a pick and roll and you allow Reggie Jackson of all people to get switched on to Luka Doncic for a game winner. Yeah. I'm looking at Doc Rivers like, bro, what are you on right now? Yeah. So, You're giving him to, his own meme face at that point, right? With like yeah. the smile, like the incredulous smile you're doing. You're giving him his own meme face right back to him. Yes. And that's the problem with the Clippers. So they walk around with this whole, hey, we got Kawhi, we got Paul George. We have the most talented team in the league, which they do, but it's just about effort. And I know this sounds overly simplistic, but defense is effort. I don't care what anybody wants to tell me, right? Every NBA player is athletic enough to play defense. It's about effort and your dedication to playing defense. And we know, again, Kawhi Leonard's pedigree. We know that. Another famous thing I remember from last year was Kawhi Leonard talking about how he and Danny Green prided themselves on shutting down the other team's defensive or sorry, the other team's top wing players each and every game. That was one of their top priorities. So unless you have that mentality as well, playoff P. Yeah. Isn't it shocking that like, shocking is probably not the right word, but like, isn't it surprising how much like the fact that Kawhi is there has Mm -hmm. elevated Paul George in that, like, this is a guy who, you know, again, he sarcastically say playoff P and like the Charles Barkley championship Chuck (laughs) thing is incredible, but it's, it it spells out everything you need to know, right? Like this, this guy has no reputation for being any good in the playoffs. And because like Kawhi's there, it's sort of this cluster where you go like Kawhi and Paul George. And it's like, if it was any other guy, you'd be like, there wouldn't be this combination, right? Like, I mean, I shouldn't say any other, because, like, if it was LeBron, I suppose. But, like, it's the fact that, like, Kawhi is so good that it's, like, dragging Paul George's reputation out of the mud here Mm -hmm. kind of as best as they can. So I want to run by you, you know, based on what you said, with this sort of um, effort level, right? And how the effort level is clearly not there for 48 minutes. So from a betting standpoint, this is my plan, and I want you to shoot holes in it if you can. 
Okay. I'm not playing this game beforehand, right? Because there's just too much things that can happen here because Mm -hmm. obviously, right? Like I could be, you know, I could be quote unquote right in saying like, you know, obviously seven and a half is too many for the Nuggets, you know, blah, blah, blah. I could be right in saying that getting ourselves into a position here with the Clippers being up 20 points or 15 points or however many, you know, they've sort of been up in the second half. For me, this is a live betting game because you're going to get the Clippers in fits and spurts, right? So if the game starts out where the Clippers, like it has been, right, where the Clippers take a big lead and it's whether it's halftime, whether it's the second quarter or whatever, if they get like a 20-point lead and the line is now 12.5, 13.5, that type of thing, I'll take the Nuggets all day because I know there is going to be a foot-off-the-gas moment, right, yes, for an extended correct. period of time. And then the Nuggets, who are, you know, we've seen the will of the Nuggets, right? They've come back mm-hmm. from 3-1 down. Like, they care about hanging in here and they can sort of taste the idea of getting into the Western Conference Finals. And so even if they get down, they also know that, don't worry, we've been in the spot before, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. And then on the flip side, if the Nuggets go up, and it's the complete sort of reversal of a script here, and the Nuggets go up, and we can get a number that is closer to two and a half, three and a half, that kind of thing with the Clippers, knowing that at some point they're going to put together a good five minutes of defense into offense type of a thing, that I just think we can kind of grab whichever side doesn't start well, because that's just been kind of the story of the series, where even in the game where like Denver shot like 75% in the first half, right? Like the, the Clippers ended up getting that game to within five points, I think it was, right? And it's yeah. in both cases, you know, these teams, more than sort of any other series, especially these series that are sort of lo- more lower scoring, the runs in these series have been the thing that you can count on versus counting on one team or another. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I love what you said. I love the in-game betting. And in fact, at the end of this, I, I got a little thing here. I'm going to give you exactly what you need to pay attention to, but I'm going to explain it first. Okay. Is that cool? Yeah, so, here we go. First off, the Clippers aren't losing this game, right? Like, I'm right. firmly confident the Clippers aren't losing. So, what that means is, in terms of what you were just talking about, if the Nuggets do get up, right, and you see the line move to something more – you know, favorable of the Clippers, obviously you're jumping on the Clippers, right? If the Nuggets get out to a big lead early, the Clippers are coming back. First thing I'll say, right? Yep. You mentioned the flip side of the Clippers getting out to good leads and then blowing it. Well, the reason why that happens, the basketball reason why that happens is because the Clippers have never had a solid rotation for the whole season. So once they go to their bench, they barely even had like the same starting lineup. But more importantly, when we think of, you know, the way that an NBA coach runs their, uh, their unit, their rotation, a lot of that is dependent on who's in the lineup, who's out of the lineup. You might still have four out of your same starters, but yep. once your six, seven, eight guys constantly are changing, you now don't have a rotation. Guys have never firmly gotten used to playing with each other, whether offensively or defensively. And that's where you see the Clippers blow games. They get out to good starts, but then once you get into your rotation and Doc has to actually do stuff, right? <laughs> right. Things fall apart. They blow leads. And then there's these frantic comebacks at the end because, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to throw out my main guys again, the guys that I know are here to ball. Yeah. And then there's a frantic comeback 
but it's too late. It's them flicking the switch, but some, some of it is self-inflicted by Doc. And here's, here's the kicker here, right? Doc's use of Montrez Harrow is yeah. completely insane. <laughs> so, okay. and, and I'm not a, even a huge numbers guy, but this is where one of the things I talk about on, the, on uh, whether it's Wrap It Up or Ball on Blast is you try to match the stats with the eye test. Yeah. I test meaning I know basketball. I watch basketball. I can tell when things don't make sense, right? But then you find the stats and it's like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Earlier I was talking about the defensive rotations. And when you put Kawhi in the middle of Mark Gasol, Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, and a freak athlete like Pascal with Nick Nurse's defensive game plan, hey, it's a beautiful thing to watch, right? Right. But now when I put Kawhi out there with Paul George, who admitted himself, sometimes his head's not in it, right? Like he told us that. And then you add in Montrez, Lou Will as your crunch time lineup. Right. uh, Things are going to get dicey. But you (laughs) dig deeper and you see Zubach overall in this series, okay, is a plus 42. Okay. He's been positive in five out of the six games. While Montrez Harrell in the series is a minus 29. Okay? Wow. Yeah. When Nikola Jokic is on the court with Zubach, the Clippers outscored the Nuggets by 11 points in this series. When Jokic is playing without Zubach, Denver outscored LA by 20 points. Wow. 20 points. So there you go. You're looking at Doc Rivers and you're just saying, okay, dude, like what? <laughs> Match the minutes, maybe right. even dust off. The, the artist formerly known as Joe Kim Noah, give him a spin for a wow. couple of minutes here. Do something because clearly what Montrez is giving you at the offensive end, he's giving right back up on the defensive end. And the reason why that's important is because when a team is struggling early, right, and the Clippers get out to a great lead, once you bring in your bench that doesn't play defense, now you're letting – the Nuggets get into an offensive groove because they start to get easy baskets and then they start feeling good. Right. And that's where you see the runs being made. So the thing I would tell you to pay attention to, especially try to pin the number with Zubach's minutes and Montrez's minutes and see how that fluctuates while you're watching this game tonight. So in-game betting, I love it. Yeah. I was going to say for, yeah, for more sort of specifically, right. It's just a matter of grab the Nuggets whenever you see, uh, or grab the Clippers whenever you see uh, Zubats come in, right? Because yeah. Harrell starts, correct? No, Zubat starts. Zubat starts, sorry, yes. yes. Zubat starts, and then when Harrell comes in, that's the point to grab the Nuggets. Yes. And, and vice versa. Box- and you can kind of go back and forth with that and probably create yourself a nice little middle shot too, mm-hmm. right? So you can kind of exactly. play two different ways. You can go kind of macro with grabbing, like we said, either the Nuggets or the Clippers, depending on who the, the opposite of whoever starts well. And then you can also sort of play almost in a different category, right? And you can sort of adjust your units to kind of play around with trying to shoot for a middle where you can kind of maybe create something in like a five-point middle range that has, you know, three or four bets on either side and just kind of toggle back and forth, right? So, yeah, that's totally. definitely something to keep an eye on. I'll get you out here on this. So obviously when a series goes seven games like this, right, it kind of sullies the reputation of either team when it comes to what's going to happen next, right? So are we potentially sleeping on whoever comes out of this 
against the Lakers? Like, is it a mistake to write off whoever wins this against the Lakers? Or is it just as simple as like the Lakers are the better team than both of these teams? And it kind of doesn't matter who's going to get out of here. I mean, obviously, if the Clippers win, it's going to be pretty close, or at least it would have been pretty close to a pick em, right? Like if you'd said a week ago, what would the series line be? And so now the series line will be, you know, something in, you know, Lakers, I'd guess probably like a minus 140, like that type of a thing where the first game, maybe they're two or three point favorites, maybe even a little bit more, assuming a quick turnaround here. So is it as simple as like these teams have now tired themselves out to the point and exposed themselves to the point where the Lakers are just going to take advantage of it? Or are we still not all that, I shouldn't say still, but are we all not necessarily all that high on the Lakers just because they beat a Rockets team who, like, I'm embarrassed for even using the word Rockets because I didn't want to talk about the Rockets, not only in this podcast today, but literally ever again in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wouldn't hold this against the Clippers because the the issue here is them just flicking the switch, just thinking they're the championship team. But what that means is their sights have been set on the Lakers the whole season. Right. From the get-go. As soon as Kawhi... This has been like the rare look ahead series, right? Like you get the look ahead game every once in a while. It's been a look ahead season. Season, yeah, good point. As soon as Kawhi and Paul George signed the paper, right? Right. Balmer was yelling at the press conference. They were waiting for the matchup against the Lakers. So it's just a matter of getting there. So you can kind of understand how they come out sluggish at points during this series because they've been sluggish at points during the year. So I just think, you know, once Doc and hopefully Doc figures out, hey, you better have your big guy rotation set for the next series because, you know, you're going to need Zubac to rebound, especially against Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and whoever, right? So, like, stop messing around with the minutes. But on top of it, Kawhi is going to have these guys ready. And the amount of times that I've seen Kawhi I don't know yell at dudes is the right term to use for Kawhi Leonard. Sure, like side-eye aggressively. Yeah, Side-eye, call (laughs) dudes out. There was a clip that went viral where he was calling for the ball and Reggie Jackson sort of looked him off. And then you can see Kawhi say, I didn't pass the ball for you to do that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Those are things we didn't see that happen last year with the Raptors, right? I know. I feel like at some point there was enough stories that came out from the Raptors locker room. Right. Right. Where Kawhi's mentality in terms of, you know, Nick Nurse, for example, saying, hey, we're going to go to Golden State and let's just get one. And Kawhi saying, fuck that. Let's get two. Right. Like, this is what he's here for. Like, if he's lacing his shoes up for the playoffs, the conference finals against LeBron, the team that he could have went to. Yeah. No, no, no. They're going to be ready for that series. That's going to be a go. They're going to be fine. Okay, I like it. All right, brother. Uh, lay it on us. Tell us where we can find you and the On Blast crew. Oof. So you can find me on Twitter at Shell Alexander on Instagram at Sheldon Alexander. And yes, as mentioned, the On Blast podcast network. We got a lot of things cooking. I mean, Wrap It Up is obviously done, which was our Raptors post game show. Uh, great season of that, our second season of that, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but we still got up and running. We got a brand new episode of the Ball On Blast podcast, which is our NBA-wide discussion. I do that with Andrew Webster, another former colleague of ours. Absolutely. Um, And so, yeah, we talk basketball and all the things that make the NBA great. You know, there's even a Daniel (laughs) House 
little breakdown there. I was going to say, I was literally going to reference, like, are we getting a, did, did we get a Daniel House uh, right. full-scale breakdown? And you, you yeah. beat me to it. So we, we talk a lot about that. And as you mentioned earlier in the pod, uh, a very successful week one, I'd like to say, of our, I still don't have a name, but I'll name this football pod later. Which, yeah, uh, I had you on and, and you know, we're going to do that each and every week where we just talk about the NFL and, you know, I try to win more money than I lose. So <laughs> that's all we're trying to, trying to do. Help and, and switch the mentality on a couple things and have our sucker bet of the week and things like that. So, yeah, all that under the On Blast Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, yeah. like and subscribe, all that fun stuff. Yeah, wherever you got this podcast, you can get that podcast. He's a friend. He's a former colleague. uh, And he's, you know, a co-host guest today, host on Thursday. Uh, (laughs) My boy, Sheldon Alexander. We'll see you Thursday, brother. Thank you for this. Thanks, my dude. Awesome stuff from Sheldon there. We're going to take a quick break, and then it's our Tuesday tradition, Tuesdays with Ted, and we'll get his breakdown of how he bet the Raptors-Celtics series, and did he bet on the Jaguars like I told him to in NFL Week 1. That's all up right after this. Let's take this quick break to talk about our friends over at Hundo P Productions. Are you struggling to grow your following or build your brand? Posting simple pictures or inspirational quotes or amateur selfie videos don't really do the trick anymore. Neil over at Hundo P Productions hooked me up with a couple of really fun videos for my podcast with Chad Millman from about a month, a month and a half ago. So contact Hundo P Productions to help boost your brand and get to the next level of video marketing. He does a great job over there. Reach them at www.hundopproductions.com or at Hundo P Prod on Instagram. Don't just post, inspire. All right, it's that time again, Tuesdays with Ted. Ted Ballantyne joins us again. How are you today, sir? I am good, Rusty. Uh, I'm good. We're battling a little bit of a technical difficulty here, so let's see if we can get through this as best we can. We've got to find out where you're at with the NBA. We haven't talked NBA in what feels like forever, and a lot of stuff has happened, including our hometown Toronto Raptors, uh, they've concluded their defense of the title. Um, how are you feeling after, you know, a few days after a game seven? Uh, you know, it was a pretty fair series, right? Like a pretty fair result that the Raptors, I don't think, were the better team in that series. You know what? It was a frustrating watch, if anything, watching from a Raptor fan point of view. Like, honest to God, the series, just the whole rhythm, five games smoke and mirrored their way to a seven game series. And then uh, there was obviously tons of points you could look at, but it was just with a few minutes left in that fourth quarter in the seventh game, everyone looked like gas and whatever house money they were playing with was finally gone. I personally decided to bet the wraps every single game and I felt good about it zero times. (laughs) Oh yeah. I just dove right in emotionally and financially (laughs) just which was frustrating on both fronts most of the time. Yeah, because they didn't even, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't even lose and cover at any point in time, right? Whereas if the you'd bet, bet the Celtics, they, you know, when they won, obviously they covered. But even that one game with the miracle shot at the end, 
uh, if you got the sort of late number there with the Celtics, you would have still won the game with them. So the Celtics actually went five and two. And it was just the most regrettable inputting and just, yes, plays bet. Yeah. It worked out a couple times, obviously, but I think they're like, I think I really showed my true colors a couple times where I just kind of took the wraps on the money line and didn't get all the value I probably could have because sure. uh, I was like, oh, I don't think they can win by two. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, you know, having experienced, you know, I always say you can, you can tell the most by a team if you either bet on them or bet against them, especially over the course of a seven-game series. So do you have a lean for the Eastern Conference Finals? Like having bet against the Celtics and lost – you know, do you have an attitude where you take that and go, you know what, that team's really good, I should bet on them, or you know what, I lost money on them, but I don't care, I'm betting against them in the next round too. Like, which side do you lean to? You know, it's going to be fun. I watch the Heat and the Celtics every game because it's just, I personally think these two teams just have a bunch of dudes that are delightfully hateable. Like, it's going to come down to a couple of those dudes because I think this, like, if the Celtics put them on there, Marcus Smart and Goran Dragic is going to be what to watch. I'll be betting Celtics, um, and I'll be rooting both to somehow lose. For me, I kind of like the heat in this series. Um, but in the West, first and foremost, did you know there was a Game 7 tonight? What? Uh, <laughs> how many minutes have you watched of Game 5 and 6 in this series, first and foremost? Uh, game 6, I regrettably watched next to nothing. The NBA really just kind of slid that one in. Yeah, and so do they have a chance to win this game here? I mean, I guess they do because they've won the last two, but having literally watched zero minutes myself, I have to look to others here to find out who I should be betting on tonight. Um, I don't think the Clippers are probably with, but last two games, with the whole series, the whole season, the Clippers can't stop fouling. And it's just that's how these leads keep on evaporating. And just if I was a Clipper fan, I think it would be the most infuriating thing in the like the most infuriating thing to watch on the planet. Just your team is just and hacking and fouling all the time when they don't have to. Yeah. And I didn't think, I didn't think the Clippers would lose a game in this series because you've got these guys who can play defense, but between, you know, that Maverick series and the games going over every, every single time and it like just absurdly high numbers too that they were going over like to me that was the first clue and i should have been a little bit more uh able to pick up on these clues but to me that was the first clue that you know what this whole idea that the paul george Kawhi leonard like super wing defense tandem here isn't all it's cracked up to be and so i'm ready for pretty much anything to happen here uh in this game seven but hypothetically we probably will have some sort of shady refereeing activity going on that results in an la la conference final because we can't possibly let this denver uh lakers thing actually happen so you know simply put what are what are your leans with regards to an la la series um you know what seeing how this series has ended with the Nuggets, and you never know with matchups and, and, you know, who could be a great matchup again. I think the Lakers look like they keep on getting better. Yeah, the whole idea that, like, there's some sort of LeBron stopper when, like, we couldn't have a Luka Doncic stopper, we can't have a, you know, Jokic or Murray stopper. This is true, yeah, that's right. Right, like, it just all sounds a little bit fraudulent at this point. So, um, we would be remiss without 
uh, mentioning or asking the question that everybody's got their mind on right now with regards to week one in the NFL and what you did with regards to betting or anything along those lines. And the key question is, did I do a good enough job talking you into the Jacksonville Jaguars last week? Having the Colts a minus eight and just being like, what, what did I do? It was just the same thing all over again, and I made a very poor decision in that one. And then Minshew's out there, and he's got flowing hair, and he's got a headband going on. Oh, just like I really should have doubled down the other way at halftime, regardless of the line, because everything about that was just pulling at my heartstrings that the Jags should have been your play. Yeah, and that just goes to show, right? I can make a compelling case, but people are just going to do whatever they want to do when it comes to <laughs> sports betting, right? And I'm glad that even you, a good friend of mine for a long time that I believe has a decent respect for my opinion, would oh, still I you all the time. You know what, that was one of those ones where I put in so much of my action just kind of like late on Sunday morning that's one of the ones this is not something that's happened to you or I'm like halfway through the first first quarter I'm just kind of settling into watching my red zone afternoon and up come the Colts and the Jags and in my mind I'm just like who did I take in this one and then I gotta go look <laughs> it up and that's like oh no yeah that definitely does not happen to me and <laughs> I cannot relate um, in any way shape or form there was definitely a point in my life where I would make a few bets coming home on Saturday night after being out at the bar and then making those same bets, completely forgetting that I had made those bets uh, the next morning, only to find out either one way or another, most of the time in a losing cause that I had double bet a game. So fortunately, those days are long behind me, but not something that uh, is completely foreign to me from a general concept. Um, well, remember last year, I tried, I tried a new system last year where I was going to look up a single play I took, I was going to bet against the public money. And it actually ended up going okay. It was just so motionless that I decided this year I wasn't going to do it again. But I, I might go back. I might go back to the system. Well, I talked yesterday about how if you're ever in the weeds, right, if you're ever in the wilderness when it comes to this sort of thing, just take whoever didn't cover last week, right? Just kind of go across the board and just take whoever didn't cover last week. You're probably, at the very worst, going to finish 500, which, again, if you're in the wilderness and you're in the weeds, that's going to be better than, you know, what your current status is. Exactly. Uh, there you go. That's his, uh, that's his motto. I'll take 500, baby. Uh, it's Tuesdays <laughs> with Ted. Thanks, brother. Hey, my pleasure. Talk to you, Russ. That was fun. A thank you to Sheldon Alexander and a thank you to Ted Ballantyne, as usual, on Tuesdays. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And until next time, I'll see you at the window.